Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to Mount Calvary Church. We're going to go ahead and dismiss our elementary school kids. So if you're headed over to Fusion, we have some of our volunteers in the back. It's a lot of elementary school kids. Wow. Thank you, volunteers. We love our volunteers. What a gift. What a gift. This morning, we're going to be in 1 Peter 5. We're going to start out by reading our passage. So if you could turn to 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 5, we'll begin our time by reading our passage this morning. Now that the room is empty. Uh, Verse 1 of chapter 5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that's God's word this morning. If you've been tracking along in our first Peter sermon series, I can almost, I would imagine that this would not have been the topic you would have expected to read about following the first Peter chapter four sermons. 1 Peter 4, 1, just a few weeks ago, we talked about arming your thinking because you're going to suffer like Jesus suffered. 1 Peter 4, 7, a few weeks ago, we said, the end of all things is at hand. Be sober-minded and self-controlled. Last week, we talked about entrusting your souls to a faithful creator because you will suffer and you will struggle. And now, it almost feels abrupt. It almost feels like a complete change of topic. Peter is talking about church leadership. He's talking about the structure of the church and how the the leaders of the church are to be led. And it almost feels... Like this, this little passage, these five verses are out of place. But as we kind of work through this passage, I think it's really important to see that for Peter and for these churches, this was a crucial topic. Church leadership was vital for these, for these believers as they walked through fire. And so essentially what Peter is going to say this morning through these five verses to the church was, you need the church if you're going through hard things, if you're going through trials and tribulations and various types of fires. You need the church and you need the church leadership functioning the way that God has intended for it to function. And so Peter is going to raise the bar for church leadership. 
that when the going gets hard, when you're, when you're discouraged and you're persecuted, you need a group of leaders, a church family surrounding you, helping you as you navigate the fires. And so we kind of can see that connection with that first word in verse 1. So, I mean, that is, that is a crucial word because it connects. It shows us that this isn't just a random passage. That Peter's just kind of closing out his letter with a few things kind of at the end that don't connect with the rest of, the, of what he's been sharing. But no, not here. Peter says, so, since Christ suffered... Since the end of all things is at hand, since you will struggle and since you are entrusting your souls to a creator, elders, you need to step up and be all that God made you to be, to walk by the sheep as we suffer fires. So this is what Peter is saying, and it's a little bit of a, of a different sermon. I mean, Peter is writing this letter to churches, to whoever's listening into these churches. They would receive these letters. They would go into their homes. They would read these letters, and some would have been elders. Some would have been children and families and non-elders. But Peter is, is very intentional to not, to not write a separate letter to elders, but he wants the whole church to hear the instruction to the elders, though not everyone was an elder. And it is kind of how we're doing it here today. This was written, these five verses were written to the elders, but he wants everyone to hear it because he wants everyone to know the difference between good leaders and good shepherds and bad leaders and wicked shepherds. Because again, church leadership is crucial when the fire comes, when we're grieving and when we're struggling. And so here at Mount Calvary Church, we have, we have nine elders. Yeah, you're, those elders are sitting up straight this morning. Jerry Moore, Bob Zeger, Corey Pruner, Ryan Martin, Phil Nelson, Denny Dragas, Ryan Torberg, Jonathan Whitmer, and myself. And for you men, and to myself, I'm teaching myself this morning I mean, it is. It's time for us to listen and to learn according to the word of God because these are serious words. And for those who are for those who are new at Mount Calvary or maybe not aware of how we function as a church, we are structured as a, as an elder led church. And we look at passages like First Peter five and other examples throughout the story of Acts. And as we see how those churches were led, we've decided as a church that we want to be structured and we want to be led like the New Testament church was led. And so what we see in 1 Peter 5 and we see elsewhere in the New Testament is that the church was led by a group of men called elders. Now, other epistles in the New Testament will use other words to describe the office of elder. You, some, some of the writers will call them overseers. Some will call them shepherds. But here in 1 Peter 5, it's a really helpful passage because it combines all those different words used in the New Testament to describe one office, the New Testament elder. And so we call these nine men elders. It doesn't mean that they're old. It doesn't mean that they have, they're aged or that they're a certain quality, but that it means that they are wise and they, they fulfill and keep 
the attributes of the elder in 1 Timothy 3, and that they do the things that we've talk, we're going to talk about here in 1 Peter 5. They're overseers, they're shepherds, which is a really kind of an interesting word that we'll talk more about, but shepherd is used in Ephesians 4 in the spiritual gifts passage, and you know how it's translated in Ephesians 4, not shepherd, but it's the word pastor. So elders are overseers, they're shepherds, they're pastors, they teach, they lead, they care, they oversee the ministry of the church. Not all elders have the same, just speaking here at Mount Calvary, not all elders here have the same focus on all those, on all those um, roles. 1 Timothy 5.17 kind of gives you this distinction between some who are paid for what they're doing, some who are not paid, some who focus on preaching and teaching, some who may focus on leadership, and that is the case here at Mount Calvary Church. Pastor Jonathan and myself are the full-time paid elders of the church. The other elders, though they preach and teach in different regards, some focus more on leadership, some focus more on caring and shepherding, but from the nine of us, we are the, we are the ones who are, according to 1 Peter 5, leading the church. And so we're not what, what some might say congregational-led. We're not lead pastor-led. So it's not what I want to do. I'm one voice of nine. We're not association-led. We're not committee-led. But we are led by a group of men called elders. And that's serious. That's a serious call because the church needs the elders to be what God has called them to be if we're going to weather the fires and the storms and the persecution of life. And so let's pray to that end, and we'll get into Peter's argument here in 1 Peter 5. Father, we pray not just for our elders, but I pray for the men and the women here that we would be good, godly leaders. And so, God, I pray that though this is written very specifically to the elders of the church, God, I pray that we would all consider the means by which we lead in whatever capacity that is. But, God, I do pray specifically for our elders, God, that you would humble them, that they would continue to lead in wisdom and insight, God, that you would help us to shepherd and to care and to focus on the things that you have called us to focus. And so, God, we ask for your help this morning. It's in the name of your Son we pray. Amen. First Peter 5, 1 through 5, kind of break this down. Three main ideas. The grounds, the role, and the heart. The grounds for Peter's leadership the role of the elders' leadership, and the heart of the elders' leadership. But before we get to talking about the elders, Peter doesn't just jump in and start barking orders of what the elders are supposed to be doing. Before he gets there, he says, let me give you the basis or the grounds by which I can give some insight into who you are as an elder. And so he's going to give three self-identifiers in verse 1 that says, this is the basis by which I, Peter, can speak into you elders and you churches who I've never even met or been to. And so he does this in verse 1. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder 
and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Three self-identifiers. First, he exhorts them as a fellow elder. Now, this, is, this to me is brilliant leadership. This is a master's class on being a leader. Take note of this. He doesn't do what he could have done, saying, Peter, an apostle, that's verse 1 of chapter 1. He doesn't say, I am the super, I'm one of the closest disciples of Jesus, and I'm going to command you to do what you're supposed to do, elders. I mean, he uses the title in verse 1. You have to think, well, I mean, that gives Peter authority. He was with Jesus. He saw a resurrected Christ, yet that's not what Peter does. He says, as a fellow elder, I exhort you. And I love this strategy. He lowers himself. He connects himself with these other men. He humbles himself. He speaks in gentleness to these elders and to these churches. It reminds me of what Paul does in Philemon. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I mean, Paul's not barking out commands. You must do this. As a leader, what is Paul saying? He's saying, I love you, and so therefore I'm appealing to you. So Peter is, is a leader like this, and maybe you've experienced in this, in this in your life. The best leaders are not the ones that drop their titles and command you and force you. But the best leaders in my life, the best pastors who've ever led me, were not senior pastors telling me what to do, but they were fellow men who loved me and encouraged me and pointed me to Christ. And so this is the grounds for his leadership. He is a fellow elder. He is with them. He is next to them. He connects with them. He's, not, he's leading by example. He's not domineering over them. Look, look down at verse 3. He's going to give them these heart qualities that we'll talk about at the end. But one of the qualities of the elder is you're not dominating people, commanding people. And what Peter's doing here, he is leading by example. He's not commanding these elders what to do. He's appealing and exhorting them. He's leading by example. But look at these next two. You know, I wasn't intending to spend too much time on verse 1, but as I got into these two bases, uh, two grounds of Peter's leadership, these two next two qualities really were fascinating to me. Peter, a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in glory. So if we think about leadership, I'm going to call this leadership here that Peter's showing us with these two self-identifiers. I'm going to call this principle in leadership the I've been there first leadership principle. I've been there first. In other words, you can't lead someone somewhere you've never been before. So I'm not starting a church Pilates class next week. Okay? I don't stretch. And I'm not taking you canoeing down the Susquehanna. I don't have a canoe. I'm not baking something for you because I don't bake. 
Okay, you can't lead someone somewhere that you've never been before. And this is the principle that Peter is laying out. First, he says, I have been a witness to the sufferings of Christ. Now, this to me was the most interesting phrase in the whole passage. What, because here's the question, what about this gives Peter the right to speak into these fellow elders? He witnessed the sufferings of Christ. Well, this maybe comes off a little rude, but so what, Peter? I mean, lots of people saw Jesus suffer, and really, your resume of watching Jesus suffer doesn't appear to be all that great. You fell asleep. You fell asleep when Jesus was experiencing agony in the garden. That didn't look too great. When, when Jesus was betrayed with the kiss, how did Peter respond to that? He pulled out his sword. I mean, Peter would have been a witness. The first stop of Jesus' Good Friday when he was interrogated by Annas, where Jesus was violently struck and bound and dragged to Caiaphas. But in Caiaphas, where Jesus, when Jesus met with Caiaphas early that Friday morning, Peter would have been in the courtyard. This is where Peter denied Jesus. But here with Caiaphas, this is where Jesus was spit and struck and punched and bound. And his eyes were covered and he was bloodied. But Peter was in the courtyard at this point, denying to be associated with Jesus. And we're not really sure where Peter was when Caiaphas sent Jesus to Pilate and Pilate sent Jesus to Herod. But there's a one passage in Luke 23 that gives us maybe maybe an idea where Peter was when Jesus carried the cross to Mount Calvary and all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle when they saw what had taken place returned home beating their breasts and all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things I mean, was this is this Peter was he watching from a distance. But what is the value of Peter's witness of Jesus's suffering? I mean, this is not something you boast about or you use to qualify something you're about to teach. He was the denier. He was at a, dis he was at a distance. I mean, his eyewitness to me was more embarrassing than it was anything else. And as I was just thinking about this, like, why would Peter say this? I came across a sermon from November 4th, 1883 by C.H. Spurgeon. And this was precisely what he was talking about. And so I want to read about why Peter would have used his witness as a qualifier. And it wasn't because he was an eyewitness. But his basis for speaking into this was his faith witness. And so let me read the words of Spurgeon from 1883. He says, but dear brethren, you and I, never having seen Christ in his sufferings, might never have had a participation in this part of our text if there had not been another kind of witnessing, namely the faith witness. There were thousands who were eyewitnesses of our Lord's suffering who nevertheless saw not the true meaning of them. Thousands saw the Savior die, but they simply went their way back to Jerusalem, some of them beating on their breasts, but none of them believing in him or really knowing the secret of that wondrous death. Then I saw not only that Christ Jesus died upon the cross, 
but I also perceived who he was and why he died and what he accomplished by that death. I was helped to learn that he loved me and he gave himself for me. I understood that he took my place that I might take his place, that he took my sin that I might take his righteousness, that he bore my woe that I might share in his joy. And when I saw that, I don't, I don't mean when I heard about it, I do not mean when I read of it, but when I saw it with my soul's inner eye and not only understood it, but perceived my share in my Savior's sacrifice and believed in him to the saving of my soul. Oh, it was a blessed day for me. And many of you, dear friends, know well what I mean. For you also had just such a sight as I have described. You are faith witnesses of Christ's suffering. And so Peter's witness, I don't think it's about him physically being an eyewitness, though that is true. But more than that, it was his faith witness, as Spurgeon says, the, the eye of his inner soul, seeing that Jesus' suffering was for me. Peter, the denier, the runner, the one who gets out, who's, who's, who's dominated by his emotions. And when he beheld with his eye, his soul eye, that Jesus' suffering was so that he didn't have to, so that Jesus' pain could be his joy. He's saying, this is the grounds by which I lead. I have experienced and seen the magnificence of Jesus' suffering for me. And then he continues. He wasn't just a witness of the suffering. He was a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. He partook. It's a word that means you have your hands on it. You taste it. You experience. And so what Peter is saying is the basis for my leadership to you elders and to you churches is I have tasted and seen and experienced the overwhelming magnificence of the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, we're not sure what Peter, where Peter did this. Maybe it was on the Mount Transfiguration where Jesus' face shone like the sun and his clothing beamed white as light. Perhaps that is what he's thinking, but I don't think we need to narrow in what, what, what Peter is thinking. He's just saying, I have been overcome and overwhelmed by the greatness and sheer beauty and glory of Jesus Christ now, and it is a taste of what is going to be revealed on another day. And it is on this basis that I am leading you elders. One more time from Spurgeon. I could have just read his whole sermon this morning. Here's what he says about being a partaker. I like to see that word partaker coming after the word witness. For I do not think that a man can be a really useful witness for Christ unless he's a partaker. Can you go and talk to others about the bitterness of sin when you have never wept over it or repented of it yourself? Wow. No, you can't. Can you speak of the sweets of divine mercy of which you've never tasted? Wilt thou magnify precious faith when thou art thyself a stranger to the faith of God's elect? Wilt thou set forth Christ 
evidently crucified among men when thou hast never seen him thyself? Canst thou describe the love which has never cheered thine own heart? Will thou tell of communion with Christ when thou knowest nothing of its blessedness? Unhappy man, thine office would be indeed terrible if thou were called to such a work. It were better for thee to perform the most menial labor with the most grievous sweat and wear, the wear and wear and tear of thy very marrow and bones than have to occupy a pulpit to talk of things which thou hast never tasted and handled and felt thyself. So very specifically, Spurgeon is applying this to the office of pastor and elder, but I think it applies to all of us in whatever capacity of spiritual leadership that God has given us. That unless we have seen, really seen the benefit of the suffering of Christ and tasted the glory of him now and to come. Husbands, in other words, you, you can't be a spiritual leader of your family if you're not walking with Jesus, if, if you're not overwhelmed by Jesus. Wives and women and students, you can't be a spiritual leader if you're, if you're not living for Jesus, if you're not enthralled with Jesus, if you're not overcome by the beauty of the cross and the overcoming, overwhelming, great glory of Jesus. In other words, you can't lead someone spiritually where you've never been before. That's, that's the principle, that you must experience it first and then you can help lead someone else to it. And this is also the principle for pastors for elders, that you are to lead out of an overflow, out of an overflow. And this, this just makes sense, right? We lead out of experience. And so this is the basis for Peter's leadership, saying, I am a fellow elder. I have seen with my soul the suffering of Jesus, and I have partaken in the glory of him now and to come. But now... Now that he's earned the right to talk to these elders, he says, let me tell you, elders, here is your role. Here is what you are to do as you lead the church through fires, through persecution, through murders and theft and, and all these insults. Here's what you are to do. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Now, I know that in a room this size with as many people here listening, here in person, that when you think of a pastor or when you think of a church elder, I would imagine that all of us have a whole host of images that come flooding our mind, good and bad, formal and informal. Some of you, robes, investments, and stained glass, some of you suits and jackets and tie, some who you have loved and some whom you have struggled with, some who have made great godly decisions, some who have made bad decisions and have, have really hurt you. Whatever the case, Peter gives us, in my estimation, the clearest and the most significant image of the elder and pastor of all of Scripture, right here in this phrase in verse 2. What is the image 
of the elder. It is a shepherd who exercises oversight. That's the elder, and that's the pastor. Not a CEO, not a communicator, not a monk, not a lazy person, not someone who has many addictions. He is a shepherd. In Ephesians 4, I already said this, the word shepherd, this title shepherd in Ephesians 4 is the same word that's used for the spiritual gift list for the pastor. In other words, elders are pastors. That is the picture of the biblical elder leading the church. All the elders are shepherds, and they are pastoring, and they are caring for the church. And so what does it mean for the elder to be a pastor or to be a shepherd? Really, either word could work, by the way. It's the same word, shepherd, pastor, same word biblically. What what does it mean for an elder to be a shepherd? Elders, some of you who are here, what should we be doing as primary shepherds of the flock? First, just a few things. Shepherds, first, feed the sheep by teaching God's word. What should elders be doing? Church, what do we need when we walk through the fires and the struggles and the tribulations and the temptations and the hardships of life? What do we need from the church? You need church leadership that says, I will teach the word of God. That's what you need. And I'll tell you, you're not going to always like it. We've learned that through the COVID years. You're not always going to like when, when it's hard and the elders stand up and say, I will teach the word of God as I best understand it. It's not always going to be popular, but what is the role of the elder? Feed the sheep. This was Jesus's interchange with, with Peter at the end of, chap, of John when Peter says, I, I love you, Lord, and I love, I love your sheep. And what does Jesus say to him three times? If you love me, Peter, in your role as an elder, let me tell you what to do. Three times he says, feed my sheep. If you, you want to, Peter, as a leader, sh- showcase that you love me, here's the one thing you should be doing. Feed the sheep the word of God. And it's not just exhorting when things are hard, but God's word is encouraging. So elders We are to encourage, we're to lead, we're to direct and care for the people of this church through God's word. God's word is comforting. It is sweet water. It is bread. And so that is one of the role of the elder of the church. Shepherds are also to lead the sheep. This kind of ties with feeding the sheep. How do we lead? By teaching God's word. But this is the overseeing part of 1 Peter 5. You're to oversee the church. You're to give wisdom and insight as you lead your local church. Peter emphasizes this. You're leading the sheep that are just among you. You're not leading any other churches. You're leading this church. Where and what is God calling us to do? Is God, is God calling us to, to talk to Mill Road about taking Mill Road and adding to our school? That, to me, that, this is an elder wisdom decision as the overseers of the church, and that's how we operate with the trustees. But it is the elders who shepherd, who lead, and who oversee. Feed, lead, care. Shepherds are to care for the sheep. 
Meaning, elders, we're not a board. I mean, we call ourselves a board. I need, we need to strike that. We are shepherds who care. Meaning, we're not, we're not an impersonal board. We're called to know and to care for our sheep. In other words, you should, we should know the names of you. We should know your names. We should, we should know you. There is no such thing in my, in my mind of the pastor who leads from the screen, who leads from the stage. I learned this principle long ago in pastoral ministry. My most effective ministry is not in the pulpit, but it is on my knees praying with the people of the church. People, you guys, we, we laugh. You don't remember what I say. It's important what I am doing. I'm not discounting the importance of teaching God's word. But we see, I see the most impact in the shepherding role of the pastor through living life with the sheep, caring for the sheep, day in, day out, knowing your name, knowing your struggles, knowing your challenges, being with you in your best moments and your worst moments. And what Peter is saying here, you, your role elder, it is not a board, though there is oversight, but your role is to care and love the sheep that make up your little church, especially in the fiery trials, because that's the immediate context here. And then lastly here now, we gotta, we gotta move um, Peter goes from what, what is the role that you're doing as an elder, but he, he moves from not just your function, but he talks a lot about the heart of the leader. Look at verse 2 and verse 3. He's going to give us three knots, kind of like last week, three negatives contrasted with three positives of the heart of the elder, of the leader, not under compulsion, but willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering, but being examples, as if to say, kind of on a macro level, and this applies to any leader out there, your heart matters. Jesus was never interested in going through the motion, checking boxes, religious duty, ever. And so what, what Peter is saying here is as you lead, your heart really does matter. Like just doing the right thing because it's right, it, that, that is not a way to lead for the long term. Your heart matters as you lead elders. You shouldn't lead under compulsion because you're afraid, or you feel cornered, or this is what I have to do to provide for my family, or what will people think of me if I stop? This is all I can do. This is like that's compulsion. But the elder is to lead willingly, joyfully, out of the well of delighting in God. That's the motivation for elder leadership, for any leadership, not for shameful gain. Any kind of gain, whatever kind of gain that you might associate with being an elder or a pastor, whether that's financial, whether that's popularity, what, whatever kind of gain you think there might be in getting this, this sacred privilege of service in the church, it is not to be your motivation. Instead, eagerly, joyfully, excited, hungry, Again, what we've been saying, hungry to share 
Come and witness the sufferings of Christ with me. Come taste the glory of Jesus with me. Eagerness to do so. And lastly, not domineering, but being examples. This was the, this was the method of Peter. But you're not barking, commanding orders, but you are an example. And we know this is the most effective leadership with our kids, in our workplaces. The most effective principle of leadership is not do what I say, it's do what I do with you. I'm with you. So Peter is saying, elders, this is your focus. And so as we close, as we think about our own leadership, I have to ask you, and I'm asking myself, and I'm asking our elders, what is the basis for your spiritual leadership, whatever that may be in your life, with your family, with your spouse, with your work? Is your basis for spiritual leadership, you have witnessed and tasted the suffering and the glory of Jesus, and you are overflowing in that leadership. And then I say to our elders, I'm thankful for our elders. I'm thankful for how they lead and how they care and how they shepherd. And, and listen, we're not perfect. And we, you know that. That's not, that's not like a surprise. But we're not perfect. And I'm not perfect. And we need grace. But I am thankful for our elders, how they lead with us. They lead, we lead together. And I would ask you, pray for your elders. Pray for your elders that we would live according to 1 Peter 5. And we are always, we are always open to hear from you. If you have a, a spiritual need, if you have a struggle, if you have a question, you can email us. There's a meet the elder page on our website. You can email all the elders at elders at mtcalvarychurch.com. But we would love, again, to be who God made us to be in the life of the church. And so send us a note, but please be praying for us. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we're thankful for 1 Peter 5 and that you give us the structure for how we are to live in the midst of fires in our lives. And we're thankful for church. We're thankful for the family that you've put around us. God, I pray now for our elders, God, that we would be all that you've called us to be, humble, leading where we've been ourselves, that our hearts would be in it. And God, I just pray for wisdom as we shepherd, wisdom as we oversee, as we make decisions. I think of Mill Road. I mean, that, that is a monumental decision as we make choices about what, what you're calling us to do and to go after, God, I pray that you help us. But God, I pray for everyone here in whatever aspect that you've made us spiritual leaders, God, I pray that it, will be, it would be out of the overflowing fountain that we have experienced with you, Jesus, in your suffering and in your glory, God. And if we've not experienced that, if that's the reason why our leadership has fallen apart in our families, in our workplaces, God, I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart, open the eyes of our soul to see what Spurgeon talked about, that your son Jesus Christ took our woes 
so that we could have his joy. Open our eyes, even today, even now, as we sing this last song, so that we can be leaders who lead out of an abundance, out of an experience that we've had with you, that we would be able to draw other people to know you. And so, God, we pray that you would help us to do that today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.